Good morning. My name is Dan Hardy, and I'm one of your pastors. It's been uh, 10 weeks since I've been up here. It just seems like yesterday, doesn't it? And, you know, I've I got to tell you, when I saw the passage that I'm going to teach on today coming, I'd be less than honest with you if I said I was excited about it. Even less than a week ago, I'm going, why am I? I mean, these guys get to teach through this deep doctrinal stuff and the gospel and you know, I've got to teach about money. But I've got to tell you, in the last few days, like the Lord always does, when you dig deep into His Word, He meets you where you're at. And I am so excited about the principles that we're going to learn today in God's Word. It's a very exciting message. We've got limited time, and we'll just trust the Lord for it. At the end, I've got a surprise for you. Well, I won't keep it a surprise. We're going to show a video clip of what's going on in Greeley. So we'll get to see firsthand what the Lord's doing there, which is really exciting. I want to tell you, uh, some of you know a little bit about my journey, what the Lord has uh, done in my life, what my grace story is. And a lot has gone on in our life, especially the last 12 months. A lot of just opportunities to trust the Lord, some trials, some amazing joys. And it all started, oh, a year ago today. Does anybody know what a year ago today was? Yeah, Natalie and Jared got married. My only daughter, Natalie, and my only son-in-law, Jared. The other importance of a year ago is Danny and Susie Thompson had their wedding 31 years ago. Let's give them a golf clap. 31 years. Got my eye on you. That's exciting. And, you know, I want to give you a little bit more of what's gone on the last 12 months and what's gone on in my life the last 20 years because it's going to pertain directly to this message. Nancy and I got married in 1980. We've been married 27 years, praise be to God. And in 1985, really in 1980, Nancy and I both started hitting the career thing hard. She was a successful director of a daycare center. I sold office equipment, then I was in the mortgage business. And in 1985, I went to the brokerage business. I became a stockbroker. It was a lifetime dream of mine. In 1988, I was named one of the top stockbrokers in America by Money Magazine. And very quickly, I had earned a significant level of success, both monetarily and a claim from my peers. Fast forward to 2005, where I felt the Lord clearly leading me to leave that career behind. It was a comfortable career. It was a career that had a lot of financial rewards and had a lot of accolades. But I just felt the Lord wanted me to do something different. And my CPA, who is a gentleman that does not know the Lord, lives in Denver, when I told him about it, you know what he said? He says, you're an idiot. That's what he said. All he saw is the income, and he knew the comfort of my life. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm not a martyr. I didn't leave the financial services industry. I really thought that the Lord was going to continue to prosper me in different ways. I felt like I was being called to be an entrepreneur, to own my own business. In fact, two years before that, in 2003, a dear brother of mine and his wife, along with Nancy and I, we bought a business. We bought a franchise. Is in the home improvement industry, a great concept, a concept that I was so excited about, my partner was so excited about, and P.S., I'm still excited about it today. But the last four years haven't been quite as exciting. When I left the financial services business in 2005, I decided to concentrate more full-time on this home improvement business. Well, fast forward a year and a half, summer, fall of 2006, I hadn't had an income in a year and a half. I'd invested every dime that we've got in this business. Then you know what came in November? A home remodeler's nightmare. Three and a half feet of snow. We had the snowstorm. We didn't do a dime of business in November, December, and I think we did a dime in January. It became evident to me that I needed to make some changes because we were sinking fast. End of November, first part of December, we put our house up for sale. About March, we lowered the house price almost six figures. Still not a bite. Well, things were getting worse. And bottom line is, I stand before you today, and about six weeks ago, we... It's really not a big deal. We had our house taken away. We had our house foreclosed. And I guess... Partly I wanted to confess it to you, but partly I wanted you to be in 
on what the Lord's doing in our life. And you know, it's been a trial. I'd, I'd be dishonest if I said it wasn't. But Nancy and I, and I think the boys, I mean, there's an overwhelming sense of joy and peace. And I think where that joy and peace has come from, well, I know it's come from the Lord. But a long time ago, the Lord showed me, I guess I realized, I understood His Word for the first time, that everything that I have, my bank account, my job, my portfolio, my beautiful wife, my wonderful three kids, none of it's mine. I'm a steward. So it was a little bit easier to let go because I wasn't hanging on to it like this. It's still hard. It's still hard. But the Lord had me hanging on to it like this and really prepared us for it. I think if it would have happened two years ago, three years ago, man, oh man, I don't know, I don't know what I would have done. What the Lord's been showing me, you know what the, the number one lesson is for me in hindsight? You'll have to ask Nancy what it is for her and invite us over for coffee or dinner sometime and we'll tell you more. I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version. What he showed me is that I was, even though I was holding on to things like this, not like this, my identity my identity was not fully in Christ. It was in Dan Hardy, the guy in the big house. It was in Dan Hardy, the successful financial consultant. It was Dan Hardy, the guy married to the beautiful Nancy. It was Dan Hardy, father of three wonderful kids. It was Dan Hardy, pastor at Winter Community Church. Now, all those things are great. They're blessings. But the Lord didn't want my identity there. You know where he wants my identity and your identity? Dan Hardy. Christian, follower of Jesus, sold out for the gospel. Some of us are a little slower than others, and the Lord needs to do what He needs to do to get our attention. Now, I've got to tell you, if this stuff wouldn't have happened, I don't know why I left the brokerage business, but some things are becoming clear. It's to allow me to go through this trial, to sharpen me and to refine me. It's a blessing. I see it as God's love for me, not His punishment. Because He woke me up to things I would have never seen before. You know what? And I would have never been able to do what I'm doing here, that I'm just, I think it's a season for me. I don't know. But I would have never seen this opportunity, nor would I have been able to embrace the opportunity to be on staff here at Windsor Community Church. So I praise the Lord for that. Money is what we're going to talk about today. What a sense of humor the Lord has, huh? I didn't pick this. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are Lord over all. That you are the owner of a thousand cattle on the hill. It all belongs to you. You've made us stewards. You've made us caretakers. And Lord, would you help us through your word today to understand fully what it means to be stewards. Fully what it means to, to store up our treasures in heaven. To not be investors on this earth, but be investors for the kingdom for eternity. And God, I pray that I know I've got an abrasive personality. Lord, I know that I've offended at least half the people in this church at one point or another. And God, I just pray that people would look past me. And Lord, that they would be obedient to listen and to come underneath the life-changing Word of God. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I just pray, Father, that you'd move me out of the way. That you'd edit the notes on my paper. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified. And may we grow as a result of your Word today. And God's people said... Amen. Chapter 15. Took us seven weeks to get through. What a rich, rich chapter. Chris and Danny shared load. It was deep doctrinal truths about the gospel and about the resurrection. It was a hymn of victory and of hope. And how someday we'll be with the Lord. We'll be living on a new earth where there's no sin, where there's no pain, there's no suffering. We'll be in bodies that are imperishable. That was an encouraging seven weeks, wasn't it? Chapter 15 is the hymn of hope and victory. And we go to chapter 16. And it starts out, Now the collection. Huh? 
Now the collection? How does he go from heaven and victory and hope to the offering plate? I got to tell you, it is perfect by God's design. In the original manuscript, you know there's no chapter breaks. There's no chapter 1, no chapter 15, no chapter 16. It was a letter. And this was simply the next part of the letter. And what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians... By the way, we started 1 Corinthians a year ago in September. And we're going to finish it up in two weeks. Two weeks from this Sunday. Then we'll be starting in 2 Corinthians. There's no chapter breaks on the original manuscript. And God had a divine purpose. Everything... All scriptures God breathed. And I'm going to walk you through three principles before we actually get into the text. Principle number one is doctrine and duty go hand in hand. Fifteen was rich in doctrine. And when the Lord talks in His Word about heaven and about the second coming, it's always for the purpose to have us live more faithfully here on earth. Yeah, there's an element where we need to hope and long to be with the Lord in heaven. Absolutely. But the purpose of Him even sharing that with us is so that we are more useful here on earth. So we can live more faithfully. In the third chapter of Peter, Peter talks about the Lord's second coming. And then in verse 14, he says this, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, since you look for the second coming, you look for the Lord's return, Here's what Peter says. Now be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. Doctrine and duty go hand in hand. Principle number two. Heaven, not earth, is my home. This is a hard concept for me to wrap my mind around. I don't know if it is for you. Heaven is our home. It's all over God's word. And I'm going to read a couple of scriptures with you. In fact, why don't you turn to Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. And this is talking about the hall of faith. Those that went before us that were faithful. Verse 13 starts like this. All these, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, died in faith without receiving the promises, but having sent them, having sent the promises... And having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers in a foreign land. They were exiles on the earth. These men of faith understood that they were here temporarily. That they were sojourners. That they were exiles from a foreign land. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country. You know which country they were seeking? They were seeking heaven. They were seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Next verse, and it's in your notes. Therefore, we are ambassadors. What's an ambassador? It's a representative of Christ. We are an ambassador of Christ. And our homeland is heaven. We're ambassadors here in America. If we truly believe that we're going to leave this world and live all eternity with God in our imperishable bodies, our concern should not be to invest in things on this earth. It should be to invest in things that are eternal. I want to say this. Hopefully I'll say it a few times. Money is not bad. Money is not bad. In fact, you know what? I've got a desire to make money. I'll just tell you right up front. I've got a desire to make money. And that's one of the reasons I don't feel like the Lord has called me to full-time ministry. Because I feel like the Lord's given me an ability and a desire to make money. To bless Him, to glorify Him, to serve the body of Christ, and to see many churches go forward. That's what I feel like I'm called to. So I want to tell you that this message is not about money being bad. First Timothy, it says that love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. It's misquoted all the time to say that love of money is the root of all evil. It's the root of all sorts of evil. So we just got to be careful of it. I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent, the greatest deterrent to giving in the church today is the illusion that the earth is our home. If we understood that heaven was our home, we would not spend so much time accumulating stuff on this temporary earth, this temporary home. The greatest 
deterrent to giving in the church today, the global church today, is the illusion that earth is our home. Suppose you were from the Czech Republic and you came to America and you were told that you could make money, you could earn, you could earn an income, but you couldn't bring anything back with you. So you earned the money, you mailed it back to the Czech Republic. That is a picture of storing our treasures where our real home is. It wouldn't make sense for this Czech Republic person coming to America to buy all kinds of stuff to put in their hotel room that is a temporary quarters. Ornate drapes and all kinds of other stuff. If you were this person, you would spend only what you needed on your temporary residence. And you'd send the rest back home. Folks, this is a concept that the Lord wants us to understand. And I've had about zero conversations with any of you here on this. But I know in my own heart that I can't grasp this concept. That we're to be investors in eternity. Primarily, not investors in this temporary home. You can't take it, but you can send it ahead. As surely as the compass needle finds north, your heart is going to follow your investments. That brings up our third principle. Money leads, the heart follows. Just like there's 24 hours in a day, money leads, the heart follows. Matthew 6, 20-21 says this, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what I'm talking about. Where we spend our time and where we spend our money is where our passion and our heart is. I remember when I was at this brokerage firm, and we bought company stock through payroll deductions. That was a good thing. It was a great thing, actually. You know, they were giving us like a 15% discount. And it really did well for us. But where my money went, you know where my heart went? I was checking the price of that stock like nine times a day like it made a difference. Where our money is, our heart goes also. Show me your checkbook. Don't do that. Show me your visa statement. Look at my checkbook or my visa statement, and you're going to know where my heart is. You're going to know what's at. You know, I love sports. I love sports. Did I say I love sports? I love competing in sports. When I was in college, I played sports. When I was in high school, I played sports. You know what the number one website is I check every day? Yahoo Sports. I'm an idiot. I'm going to be 50 years old. I'm checking Yahoo Sports like three times a day. As if there's like earth-shattering news happening at 11 and again at 3 and again at 8 o'clock at night. Where my passion for sports is, my heart goes there also. And for some of you young people in here, check yourselves. Whether it be music, whether it be sports, God's given us those to enjoy. But he does not want that to take the place of our devotion, our affection, and our passion for living for him. Amen? God wants your heart. He's not just looking for donors to the kingdom. He's not looking for us to be philanthropic. He wants our heart. He wants it all. He wants his people, you and me, so filled with vision for eternity that we wouldn't dream of not investing our money, time, and prayers to what matters most. Okay, finally, let's actually get to today's message. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4, and read along with me. Now, here's Paul, again, after giving an amazing hymn on victory and hope of being with the Lord someday, that we've conquered death because the Lord has risen from the dead. And then here he starts out, chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. 
And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. We're going to break this apart verse by verse. We're going to spend a lot of time on verse 2. And there is a lot in these four verses. Verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church in Galatia, so do you also. Collection for the saints. Who were these people? Saints, of course, are believers. It's not dead people that certain religions pray to. It's you and I who put our faith and trust in Jesus. And the collection is something that has been happening week in and week out. It's something that did not catch the church in Corinth by surprise. They knew what Paul was talking about. This collection was not only for the believers, but it was for the poor believers. It's for the poor believers in Jerusalem. And we know that from verse 3 that we're going to get to in a few minutes. When you think of the Apostle Paul, what do you think of? Somebody shout it out. Just what comes to mind? Saint, faithful teacher, church planner, missionary. Big shoes to fill. Yes. That's exactly, those are some of the things I think of as well. Missionary, tough, sold out for the gospel. You know what else he was? And you see it all through the epistles. He was a lover of the poor. He took care of poor believers all over the place. We're going to see it in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, where he really had compassion, not only for people that didn't know the Lord, but for people that, that were poor. So he is telling the church in Corinth to take a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he goes on further to say, this isn't just for you guys, the church in Corinth. It's the same thing I told the church in Galatia. He says, so do you also. So he's saying, do as I told the church in Galatia. He also told the church in Macedonia the same thing. So what he's telling the church in Corinth is, is not just for them, it's for all believers. Galatians 6.10 says this, and this is Paul writing this, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Paul knew that his first and foremost responsibility was to share the gospel. That's why he is on the earth, is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can transform hearts is the living word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that was his mission. Secondly, he wanted to do good to all men. Listen to the second part of this verse, though. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. I so appreciate this church I've not known a need in six years that we've been aware of that has gone unmet because of your faithful giving because of God's grace and that is a real real part of why the church exists why we're here together as believers is to take care of one another and this church by God's grace like no other has a spirit and a sense of community where we have each other's backs. And please, please, if there's anything going on in your lives, you've got a financial need, let it be known. Let it be known to your community group leader. Let it be known to the pastors. Let it be known to the deacons. Because we're family. We're family. We want to know when you're hurting. We are to serve all men as believers, but especially other believers. We're going to jump into verse 2. And in the next three verses, in verses 2 through 4, Paul gives us six directives. When to give, who to give to, where to give, how much to give, how often to give, and who decides where my gifts are invested. He covers all six of those in the next three verses. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, let each one of you Put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. When do I give? The first day of every week. The first day of every week is Sunday. Ever since the resurrection of Christ, the first day of the week has been Sunday. And that's when we give. We're going to get to the legalistic stuff. There's, some, there's grace, of course. But the heart of this is that Sunday morning should be a time of worship. And giving is a significant element of our worship. And I've got to tell you, I don't know if I've ever understood giving as an act of worship. 
I don't know if I have. But if you think about it, it's the ultimate form of worship. When we give, particularly when we give sacrificially, what we're doing is we're trusting the Lord like we can't trust the Lord in any other environment. Lord, this is yours. I'm putting this in in faith, given sacrificially, not knowing. Quite frankly, not knowing how you're going to provide for my family. So when do you give? You give the first day of the week. And I put some scripture references there for you as well. We're not going to get into them. This does not mean that we need to be legalistic and take our monthly salary, divide it up into fours, so we can put a check in the plate or in the offering box every single Sunday so it's an act of worship. Worship is always about the heart. What we do outward is just an indication of what's going on in our heart. Does that make sense? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, everything is the Lord's. And by putting money in the offering box at your local church, Windsor Community Church, wherever you end up, wherever your fellowship, is the ultimate act of worship. In the days that you don't put money in there, for example, we give just once a month. We tally up our earnings for the month. One dollar, two dollar. <laughs> no, it's been a lot more than that lately. Praise be to God and thank you to all of you. And then we just put it in once a month. But what the Lord wants is our heart. Think about that. And remember that every time you walk into church on Sunday morning is to walk in like this. And you'll be able to worship like you've never worshipped before, understanding that it's all the Lord's. And you'll have a contentment, a peace, like never before when you start releasing your possessions, your money, your kids, your health. Once a distraught man rode his horse up to John Wesley saying, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house burned to the ground. Wesley weighed the news then calmly replied, No, the Lord's house burned to the ground. There's one last thing for me to do. Can you imagine? That is ultimate contentment and peace. We live in a society and in a country with an abundance of blessings. I'm so thankful to live here. I'm so thankful that the Lord has given us stuff and things to do to enjoy. But these blessings, and they are blessings, if we're holding them like this, you're never going to have complete contentment. Never, ever. Who should give? Verse 2 starts out on the first day of every week. Let each one of you. Let each one of you. That's you and me. No exemptions. No exclusions. We are to be stewards of whatever the Lord gives us, no matter how small. He did not discourage the widow from putting in two small copper coins that were worth about a half a cent a half a penny in today's terms. He did not chide the priests. He did not chide them for accepting her gift because she was destitute. Instead, he used it as an example of true spiritual giving. She gave everything she had. She gave it all. She laid it on the line. And the Lord's not suggesting that we sell everything and dump it in the offering box. He wants our heart That's what he wants. He wants us to be willing to lay it all down at his feet if he calls us to. Matthew 12, 43 through 44 says, Truly I say to you, the poor widow put in more, a half a cent, than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. She put it all there. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart. It doesn't say each man should decide if he should give or not. It says each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. If the Lord puts a number or a percentage on our heart, give it. Whatever it is, it's between you and the Lord. And don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it because of this message. Don't do it because there's a building campaign. Don't do it because 
whatever. Do it because the Lord is moving your heart. And the only way the Lord's going to move your heart is for you and I to get on our knees and to say, Lord, what is it that I have a grip on too tight? Show me. Show me if I see this money as your money or if I'm hanging on to it too tight. If you can't give, if we can't give in abundance, we're not going to be able to give in times of poverty. Where do I give? Where do I give? It says, each one put aside and save. What this literally means is each one of you, by yourselves, lay up or store up treasures. This actually represents the treasury. The church or the temple was the treasury. It's where gifts were taken. People sold their In the early church, they sold everything they had. They put it at the apostles' feet because they saw that the church was a place to give the money and the church was a place to disperse the money. So put aside and save literally means each one of you lay up, store up in the treasury at the church. That's pretty cool. Acts 4, 34-35 says, For there was not a needy person among them, It's talking about the early church. Nobody had a need. It's not because there wasn't poverty. It's because they were taking care of each other's needs. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. This is just a picture of not the apostles being up here and the the believers, the, the church being down here. But it's a picture of bringing the gifts to the church and the authority of the apostles to disperse those gifts. And they, the gifts, would be distributed to each as they had a need. I want to say this. The scripture does not indicate, the scriptures do not indicate that all of our giving should go to the church. It's really important. Nancy and I, for example, for years we've had the opportunity to support friends that are in a parachurch ministry. Over the years it's been Young Life, it's been Campus Crusade, it's been Navigators. And right now we're actually... Supporting one dear friend is with Campus Crusade. He's with Here's Life Inner City. And the reason I tell you that is to tell you that it's okay. It's okay. We had an experience oh, a couple months ago. The guy from Chicago, honey, called up out of the blue. I've known this guy. I've met him twice, two times over seven years. He called me up. He said, Dan, this is such and such. He says, I heard you guys are going through a tough time. He says, I know that you guys have blessed so many people over the years. I don't know if we have. I don't know where you heard it from. He says, I just feel like the Lord is prompting my heart to help you guys out. How can I help? And I couldn't quantify the need. I really couldn't. I mean, it was just, I was, we were in such a deep hole, we couldn't quantify the need. You know what I mean? When you're in trouble, sometimes it's like, I don't know what you can do to help. Just pray. He says, well, if you think of something, would you call me back? And I said, sure, I'll call you back. You know, I would never call him back. I got too much pride. Next day, diesel truck, front of the house, look out, Federal Express. Had an envelope. Money. That paid for the deposit on her new house. A little bit left over. It's really important for when you know needs to let others know about it. So that you can... um, My guess, excuse me, is this guy was blessed ten times more than we were. Just a joy. So I think the long and the short of it is, I think it's prudent to maybe set some money aside. Maybe even consider having a small family fund where it's there for when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart, you can bless somebody. Wouldn't that be cool? Consider that. But I want to say that I believe with all my heart 
that God's primary place for giving, the way to, to send our treasures ahead to heaven is through the local church. But he also wants you to have the opportunity to bless people individually. And I've got to tell you, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, each one of you that are giving, I mean, you are blessing the socks off of so many people right now. I mean, church plants, monies are going to church plants. There's money in the Helping Hand Fund. All right, let's continue. How much should I give? On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. And if I were to ask real quickly, without you having studied these verses, I'd get all kinds of answers as to what he means by as he may prosper. First, I looked at it and went, man, there's something there about if you give, you're going to get rich. And you know, there is a correlation of giving and blessing. Absolutely, there's a correlation all through Scripture. When we give, we're blessed. But we can't put God in that box. There will be blessing, but he may not bless us monetarily because we give. Here's what it means. Giving should be proportionate. We should give as we are prospered. You make a lot, you give a lot. You make a little, maybe you don't give as much. Believers who have more should give more. The word does not indicate a percentage, much to popular belief. God does not, does not mandate 10%. Before Moses, there was a tithe, which was really a tax that was 10%. Post-Moses, there was a tax called a tithe that was 23%. Giving has always been to be from the heart and sacrificial and cheerful. We have a tax today, and we're obligated to pay that tax, just like they had a tax back then. So next time you write your check to the IRS, just put in the memo box, tithe. See what kind of note you get back. The basic principle of the Old Testament was voluntary and sacrificial giving. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it illustrates that. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The first off the top of our paychecks, folks. Why? So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will, will overflow with new wine. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Where you've just had that epiphany. You've had that paradigm shift in your life where the Lord just showed you that you've got to be given more. You've got to be sacrificing more. And then He started blessing you. It might have been monetarily. It might have been just peace and contentment in your heart. But there's blessing that comes from giving. Biblical stewardship does not require that a Christian despise money or discontinue earning it. We've got to be careful. Money's not bad. Things aren't bad. You know what, folks? Windsor. We live in Windsor. Nancy's dad's 75th birthday party yesterday in Greeley. Two different people said, one of them said, Oh, you guys moved to Windsor. That's where the snobs are. Did they use the word snob? Yeah. And the other one said, Boy, people in Windsor sure complain a lot. Sorry, moved to Windsor. But this town is made up of us. For the most part, we are we're, we're, we're middle class to upper middle class, living in houses with three-car garages, memberships at the country club. And that's our community. That's also our culture. That's the people we want to reach. It's not a bad thing. But we just need to be prepared to to give it up if the Lord calls us to give it up. So money and things aren't bad. It's what we do with them. The Bible does warn that there's all kinds of trouble when there's a love of money in 1 Timothy 6. Good stewardship encourages a Christian to find true value in life. Let's go to the next directive. How often should I give? Paul says at the end of verse 2 that no collections be made when I come. What he's saying there is make these collections regularly. Make them every single Sunday. Make the collections. Because Paul, quite frankly, didn't even know when he was going to arrive. He was telling the Corinthians, he's coming, and I'm coming to get the money to take it to Jerusalem. But I don't know when I'm coming. So he said, don't wait. Get in the habit of giving regular, on a regular basis. When we give regularly, it allows for needs to be met as they occur, rather than to have to take up a special offering. 
Paul wants the money ready to go. You know, Windsor Community Church, we got a budget. And we got a budget because we want to be good stewards. We want to have our eyes open, prayerfully thinking about where the Lord wants us to invest His money in furthering the kingdom through this ministry. And we've got expenses and commitments. You know, we send money every single month to Crossway Chapel in Greeley. You do. It's your money. It's the Lord's money. You're a conduit. It just flows through you. And then flows through this church and goes to Crossway Chapel of Greeley. Goes to Crossway Chapel of Wilmington. Goes to Lighthouse Church in Satine. Keeps the lights on in this building. Pays part of my salary. Pays part of Joanne Topsley's salary. Danny Evans. So there's real expenses. And we praise the Lord for His design and, and that we can trust Him. And that you're all faithful. And you know, I want to remind you again. Because I don't really like money messages. I mean, I, I just don't like, you know. You know hey, it's between me and the Lord. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll work it out. Thank you very much. You don't need to tell me. I just want to remind you. I didn't ask for this message. It's my turn. Whether it be me or somebody else. This is the message. And it is God's perfect design. And the point of the whole thing. Point of the whole thing. In fact, the name that I put on this message on Wednesday was Biblical Stewardship of Money. That's a lousy title. It should be giving an act of worship. I don't know how to put titles on messages. It's an act of worship. Okay, verse 3 and 4 and we're done. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now, even though they gave the money to the church, Paul is talking about being their gift, the individual believers, with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will come with me. Who's to be responsible for dispersing the gifts? It's men who are approved. Here at Windsor Community Church, we've got a pastor board of four of us, myself, Dean, Danny, and Chris. We've also got a financial advisory team. That is Dave Lawton, Danny Thompson, Rick Kramer. And i got to tell you, I was convicted with this scripture. Because in the New Testament, what the elders did is they passed on responsibilities like this to men who were approved and called to do this type of thing. And we keep a pretty tight grip on the budget and on the finances. With that said, do you know that we made a commitment six years ago not to know what any one of you give? probably should have said at the beginning. You probably could have all stopped squirming. Not a clue. We don't know how much you give. Don't want to know. Why? It gives us the freedom to love you, to be friends with you, to minister to you without an agenda. I know what an agenda is. I was a stockbroker for 20 years and a hard time looking at anybody. As a child, I saw everybody as an opportunity. That's one of the main reasons I got out of there. But we really want to utilize these men, these approved men, to be more involved in the whole budgeting process and the whole allocation of resources. In closing, would you take this message home and these verses as a community group, as families, as individuals, and consider it? Would you read it? Would you study it? Would you examine if you're Giving is truly an act of worship. Or if it's like it is in so many of our lives, just another box checked. Quiet time, time in the Word, Sunday morning, monthly check in the box. Is there an act of worship? Giving is every bit as much worship. Is praising the Lord for song, sitting underneath His Word. We planted a church. We all planted a church. I want you to rejoice in that. That there is a thriving, alive body of believers in Greeley, Colorado. And they're over there because God sent them. They were obedient. And all of us released them. You know, we could have huddled up for another six years. But when you see what's going on in Greeley, I hope it makes you rejoice 
So let's roll that video. of Crossway Chapel of Wheeling. In the next several minutes, we'd like to explain to you who we are, what we're about as a church. We'd also like to give you a small glimpse of what's been happening ever since we got started in August 2006. Now, for us to make clear to you who we are, we really need to explain first about where we've come from and who we're associated with as a church. This local church is part of a greater church network known as the Crossway Chapel Network of Churches. This network believes that the genuine mark of a healthy local church body is whether or not it's a multiplying church. And so, in the network, we are constantly asking the question, is our church multiplying? That can mean multiplying souls as people live out and share the gospel. That can also mean that as a healthy church grows, it should naturally multiply leaders and plant other churches, sending teams of missionaries, if you will, to nearby or faraway communities. Crawford Chapel of Greeley is exactly such a church plant. Windsor Community Church, a church of roughly 250 people in Windsor, Colorado, sent out 35 of its members as missionaries to the Greeley and Eaton and Evans, Colorado areas. And we are now committed to serving and growing in those communities. And as of now, the Crossway Chapel Network has six churches, three in Colorado, one in Oregon, one in North Carolina, and one outside of the United States in the Czech Republic. Crossway Chapel of Greeley is the youngest of all these churches. And since our launch just eight months ago, we've seen some pretty incredible things happen already. We tried to keep our mission simple. And it's one that's based on relationships. We exist to help lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, knowing and loving Jesus Christ is priority one. And so everything that we do is done in an effort to know Him better and to love Him more. That's why we're committed to teaching and learning from the Bible. So that we can have an accurate picture of who God really is and allow Him to transform our lives. And we hope that this transformation and our love for Jesus Christ will overflow on the people. We want others to experience the transforming love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as a result, we value acceptance. We desire for this body to be a safe place where people can bring their joys and their struggles and their friends. You don't have to be perfect here. Now, acceptance doesn't mean that we just accept any opinion or philosophy about God. We are truly seeking to know the truth about Jesus and we get that from His Word. But our desire is for people to experience life together with all of its ups and downs. We don't want to be a place where you have to put on your Sunday best smile and pretend that you have no troubles. And because we understand that all people go through times of blessing and hardship, we want to walk through all of those things together. On the Crockwood Chapel of Greeley, we're once afraid of God. Others question His goodness or even His existence. We've had people come who've had terrible experiences with church or religion in their past. And lots of these people have come to realize that God truly loved them. So much so that He sent His Son Jesus to live and die for them. We've seen people ask for forgiveness for their sins and turn to Jesus for help. And they've asked Him to be the Lord and their Savior. Before I get started with my testimony, which is pretty short and sweet, I just wanted to say thanks. Uh, to the church body. <laughs> Never felt more accepted, comfortable around a group of people. Uh, thank you. I think it's something that me and my family wanted for a long time. I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for accepting me and for reaching out to me. He's reached out to me many, many times in my life. 
and I've always rejected him. I've always said, you know what, I can do it on my own. I don't need you. Until recently, I, I finally figured out that, you know what, I can't do it myself. I need Jesus, and I need all of you. Jesus Christ, the only God, the God who will believe for eternity, the one who sacrificed his life for my sins. Lord Jesus, I want to be cleansed in a wonderful way. I love you, Jesus Christ. seen people get baptized as a sign of their love and commitment to the Lord. And in just a few months, in this process of seeing God work in people's lives, we have grown in size from about 35 people to more than 90 people. We've seen the number of life groups grow from two to four and counting. And we've seen the birth of several ministries, people using their gifts and their talents, all for the glory of the Lord. Well, I hope that this time has been beneficial for you. We're getting to know the heartbeat of Crossroad Chapel of Greeley. All of our contact information is available on our website, which is www.crosswaygreeley.org. There's no church plant without the investment that all of you made. Praise be to God. Amen.